God, that rocks. I don't know why every podcast doesn't begin the way this one does with copyright expired music. That was free. That was free. You could just play that. I know you're thinking, whoa, hot jam. Did you pay 20 grand to get the rights to that? You're not going to believe this. It was free. You could just use that song. You could you could put it in a movie. You could play it at your wedding. I did play it at my wedding. Of course, the theme of my wedding was respect for American copyright law. It was lovely, and it was accredited. Uh, that song, of course, like I need to tell you, is uh, Billy Jones and Ernest Hare singing Hinky Dinky Parlay Voo, a very popular World War I song. And I'll tell you, listening to that song kind of makes me hate the Germans. Have we gone to sleep on the Kaiser? Have we, as a society, gone to sleep on the threat posed by the German Hun? Oh, the Germans seem nice. They're like, yeah, there's a couple at the table next to you on the Disney cruise. That's how they want to be seen. But have they really given up the ghost on Alsace Lorraine? This is the only podcast that asks those questions. This one in car talk. Anyway... Hello, uh, I'm Jeff Maurer. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast version of I Might Be Wrong, which is my Substack, where you will find the column I'm going to read today and lots of other stuff. Much, much more on the Substack. Again, it's called I Might Be Wrong. Please check it out. Uh, you can subscribe. It's free, completely free right now. Or you can choose to pay me if you would just like to be nice or if you would like to flaunt your wealth. That would also be fine. But you do not have to, and it is at imightberwrong.substack.com. Okay, before we get to today's column, uh, the infrastructure and reconciliation bills. These are the big things in the news. They really matter. It's a bit of a weird time because everything's happening behind closed doors. So there's a lot we still don't know. And what I want to say is that I feel like there's been too much focus on the top-line number. Is the reconciliation bill going to be $3.5 trillion or $1.5 trillion or some other number? That's obviously important, but also important is what's actually in the bill. Today, Washington Post columnist Catherine Rampell, she's a good columnist, uh, wrote a column titled, If Democrats Must Scale Down Their Ambitions, Here's What They Should Prioritize. Wow, that headline is fire. Good job, headline writer. Way to make the column pop. At any rate, it's a good column, and she's asking the questions we need to ask about what should stay in, what should come out. These are the things being decided behind closed doors right now. And personally, I think a good sorting mechanism for what should stay and what should go is simply, is the spending being spent on young people or old people? Personally, I prefer spending on young people. If you look at our social safety net, it's much more generous to older people than younger people. And that is not surprising because old people vote. My God, do they vote. They love to vote. That and ribbon candy. They're two favorite things. So it's not surprising that we invest a lot more in older people than younger people, even though, personally, I think investing in younger people makes a lot more sense. When you invest in younger people, they can lead healthier better lives, with more mobility. And when that happens, there is almost always an economic benefit that's good for everyone. Probably the best example of this, public schools. 
How good of a decision was that in the 19th century to start funding public schools? What a bunch of corn-fed dullards we must have been before that. The decision to fund public schools, that has just paid dividends over and over and over again. If you're asking me to explain the success of the American economy in the 20th century, the first thing I would point to is public schools. The second thing I would point to is we're not next to Germany. Again, the Hun, the threat posed by the Hun. Certainly in the 20th century, it was a big deal and... Not being near Germany is awfully good. But public schools, too. My point being, if you have to choose between investing in young people and investing in old people, I would go with the younger people. Old people, God bless them, are what you might call a classic low-return investment. Why don't we do the column? Let's do today's column. Today's column is titled, Why Can't You Call Someone Stupid? I wanted to write this because this is a question I ask myself quite a bit. I asked myself this question uh, 25 seconds ago when I was talking about the Kirsten Cinema toilet thing. Um, It's something I come up against a lot, and I kind of wonder about it, so I sort of wanted to put my thoughts down on paper and see if I could start to get a sense of what the rules of the road should maybe be. So, the title again, Why Can't You Call Someone Stupid? Subheading, There's a Rule Against It. Is it a good rule? A long time ago, this was the uh, 1820s, if memory serves, I was at a job interview. It was some entry-level copy room fodder job at one of the billion interchangeable nonprofits in D.C. It might have been the Foundation for Freedom and Democracy, or maybe the Democratic Freedom Foundation. I don't remember. Anyway, the guy interviewing me was wearing a neckerchief. I submit to you... There may be no greater indignity in life than to be judged by a man wearing a neckerchief. The discussion was about Africa because Aid to Africa was the group's secondary mission. Its primary mission, of course, being to keep 50 liberal arts majors in Washington, D.C. gainfully employed. And at one point, Professor Neckerchief looked at me and in the somberest of tones said, The AIDS rate in Africa is 80%. Now, back then, I was twice the idiot that I am right now. I remember that I was wearing Navy soccer socks under my slacks because those were the only socks I had that kind of looked like dress socks. But even I, even at that age, uh, knew that the age rate wasn't 80 fucking percent. So what did I do? I smiled. It's worth noting that we were both white my non-white listeners might not be aware, though they probably are, that this is a moment when white liberals really must play the I shall demonstrate more concern for this issue than you game. It's a bad game. I'm not good at it. And I wasn't back then because what I said was, uh, well, thankfully, I don't think the age rate is quite that high. And at that point, the Marquis de Neckerchief looked me straight in the eye and in a voice bordering on a whisper, said, I'm afraid that it is. So I didn't get the job. On the phone with my mom that night, I said, the obvious, the guy's a fucking moron. And I'm telling this story to illustrate just how casually and guiltlessly we use this person is a moron as an explanatory variable in everyday life. 
Why did Papa John's fuck up your order? Because the guy's a moron. Why is that lady blocking the airport moving walkway with her luggage? Because she's a moron. Why did Lord Grantham on Downton Abbey invest his family's fortune in a Canadian railway company, even though Canada is known for vast spaces and low population, i.e. not ideal conditions for profitable rail travel? The answer, because he's obviously a grand old fancy moron. But you can't call people in politics morons. People do it all the time, of course, but it's considered bad form. It's an ad hominem attack. If you call someone a moron on Intelligence Squared, you are going to invoke a wrath from host John Dunvan that I shudder to even imagine. He is not having your uncouth discourse. John Dunvan once kicked a March of Sin square in the face just for calling an argument poorly considered. The guy is a maniac for decorum. So, is the rule that you can't call someone a moron in politics a good rule? If stupidity works as an explanatory variable in most of life, then why not also in politics? Is the rule just fetishizing decorum? Does it stifle our ability to understand what's going on in the world? Could it actually encourage more idiocy by creating an environment in which bad reasoning can flourish, much like how the koala, by far the dumbest marsupial, survived because it had no predators. And by the way, you are allowed to call koalas stupid in politics. For obvious reasons. What a goofy-looking animal. It's the nose. So let's get into it. What's intelligence? We don't know. Entire books are written on the topic, but there's no consensus. Intelligence might never have a universally accepted definition. But it's certainly a thing, right? I mean, I'm sure we can all agree that we are all smarter than dogs. Even that really smart border collie who knows a thousand words. I know like 1,600 words. So fuck you, smart dog. God, smart dogs and Germans really getting my dander up recently. But the point is, intelligence is a thing. And there's no reason to believe that that thing exists in equal amounts in every human being. No trait exists in equal amounts in every human being. Not height, not metabolism, not vocal range, not empathy, not ability to fall asleep on a bus. I'm sure you didn't bat an eye earlier when I called young me twice the idiot that I am now. Of course I'm smarter now. I have had more time to develop my brain and fill it with stuff. No one disputes that intelligence differs within the same person over time, so no one should dispute that intelligence differs between people. And now let me pause to distinguish between intelligence and knowledge. When I say intelligence, I basically mean how well your brain works. And I will see you in the comments section, 5% of my audience who are cognitive scientists and don't like that definition. But we'll call intelligence how well your brain works, knowledge would be the stuff that's in your brain. All of us are knowledgeable on some topics and ignorant on others. I am knowledgeable about mid-90s grunge rock and ignorant about classical literature. I know soccer, but my ignorance of cricket is near total. My ignorance of what the fuck White Lotus was about is absolute, and yet somehow expands the more I read about it. And in the comment section of the column, we kind of got into what the fuck White Lotus was about. I, I still don't know. I'm pretty sure I'm never going to know. I think it might have just been a bunch of stuff that happened. The point is, 
We're all ignorant about some things sometimes. Maybe that's why calling someone ignorant, or in the language of today, a low-information voter, I can't believe we can use that euphemism. You'll read that in the New York Times. I can't believe they can do that. But anyway, that's acceptable in politics. Just barely acceptable. Saying, you need more information. Uh, Look, that is a big swing. It is unlikely to be received well. You should really only say it on a date if you're trying to avoid buying another round of drinks. But it's not considered the low blow that calling someone stupid is considered to be. There are actually situations in which a person might welcome more information. And yes, those situations only exist in theoretical physics. All real-world political discussions are frantic efforts to shout your talking points over the other person before they get off the bus or stab you in a fit of rage. But I've seen the math, and it is theoretically possible that the phrase, you need more information, could be accepted with a plum at some time and some place in a parallel universe. In contrast, when someone says, you're stupid, the conversation is definitely over. It's not immediately clear why that should be the case. I happen to agree with Freddie DeBoer's argument that we vastly overrate intelligence. Intelligence has no moral quality. Saying he's not smart should be like saying he's not musical or he doesn't excel at kayaking. It shouldn't be a big deal. But that's not how we take it. Calling someone stupid is considered an unforgivable insult to their character. It's the type of insult that would have led to a duel in the 1700s or a dance-off in the 1980s. And I'm thinking specifically about Michael Jackson's bad and beat-it videos. I can't believe we solved disputes like that back then. Well, we did. Seems ableist. Anyway, I find the rule against calling people stupid, extremely constrictive. A lot of the time, I'm working on a piece, and I really want to write, but this person's just stupid. And it's inevitable that I'm going to wander near that territory sometimes. One of the main components of political writing is pointing out flaws in reasoning. And then there's the comedy thing. Comedy, if you really want to get down to it, is basically pointing at stuff and saying, that's dumb. That's kind of what it is. So I often tiptoe around the word stupid. I'll say that a person seems prone to lapses in logic, or that an argument contains several apparent inconsistencies. Why don't I just cut the bullshit and say dumb? Sometimes I do. And in the column, there's a link there to a piece about a ProPublica argument, where I'm calling an argument, not a person, but still, I'm calling their argument dumb, because uh, it was pretty dumb. <sighs> so it feels like maybe just saying dumb should be okay. Human beings are prone to bad reasoning. Steven Pinker just wrote a whole book about this. Sometimes bad logic is the reason why a person holds a belief. Stupidity doesn't magically stop being a causal variable once you enter the realm of politics. Some people use poor logic so frequently that it almost seems silly not to say we should just ignore these morons. And if you're wondering which people I'm talking about, of course I am talking about your political opponents. What a bunch of dipshits. They are just absolute fucking dunces. If they 
had any sense at all, they would absolutely see things your way. So I don't think we need to ignore stupidity or poor reasoning, if you want to be polite, as an explanatory variable. Sometimes you will be examining a situation and thinking, why do people believe X? And the answer will be because they're using bad reasoning. Colloquially, they're being dumb. Now, if you reach that conclusion all the time, you're probably just an asshole. But I think it's okay to reach that conclusion sometimes. After all, the alternative would be to say, we must preemptively rule out this variable because it's just too rude. And personally, I'm not comfortable with that. But there is a huge difference between privately observing that someone is being dumb and publicly calling them dumb. On a personal level, calling someone dumb is extremely antisocial. Your preschool teacher was right to pull you out of playtime for calling Jenny H. a dumb-dumb, even if, on an epistemic level, the charge is warranted. And I'm going to end up answering the question I posed in the subheading with a yes. Yes, I think not calling people stupid is a good rule. Calling someone stupid in politics should be considered out of bounds, in my opinion. However, I'm not endorsing this rule because I think it makes things more polite. This is not a decorum thing. I generally favor civility in politics, but I do think it has its limits. I think that civility taken to extremes can be a safe haven for bad arguments. I think civility should rise and fall in proportion to the quality and stakes of an argument. I don't feel the need to be polite to the Pizzagate crowd or Nicholas Maduro. And, while I love the exceedingly civil atmosphere of Intelligence Squared, I do love Intelligence Squared, it's a great show, and I love that atmosphere, but the climate is only possible because the participants have been pre-selected for their presumed commitment to common values. That extremely high level of agreed-upon facts and general adherence to principles of good-faith debate is why Intelligence Squared can enact such a rigid code. And it's also why that code can be enforced to the fucking hilt by Knight Templar of Oxford-style debating John Dunvan. So, the rule isn't about politeness. It's about keeping the discussion going. I think don't call someone stupid is a good rule because calling someone stupid cuts off debate. When you make that charge, you're saying... You don't have the brain function needed to continue this conversation, and therefore the conversation ends. Personally, I think that's a bad thing. I am, after all, one of these Harper's Letter liberals who believes that open discussion is the heartbeat that keeps blood pumping to a democracy's brain. I'm also a believer in the wisdom of crowds, uh, writ large, albeit over absurdly long time frames. And I have been wrong enough in my life to want people around to talk some sense into me. So, okay, cool. End a column, right? Yeah, except for one thing. Trump. <sighs> I have endorsed the principle that you shouldn't call your political opponents stupid. How many times did I violate that principle during his presidency? I don't know. Billions? Possibly trillions? I was writing for a political comedy show at the time. Honestly... One reason why I'm writing this is because Trump is going to run again, 
and I want to get my bearings. I know that the hardest test case of this principle is about to be rubbed in my face for a minimum of two and a maximum of six, actually a maximum of six plus years. And by the way, what a horrifying turn of phrase, having Trump rubbed in your face. Why did I choose those words? I guess because it's, it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing, so I chose a horrible metaphor. I guess it works. But I'm going to have to deal with this guy. So am I going to be able to adhere to this principle? After all, Trump's poor decision-making and refusal to learn are directly relevant to his job performance. And then he also does things like give a press conference where he's like, I don't know, is drinking bleach good? Do we know about that yet? I really do wonder, does he deserve to be protected by this rule? Should I maybe just ditch the rule? So here's my thinking. Open to revision if Trump announces his candidacy while making toast in a bathtub. Trump's ignorance is fair game. Nobody, especially a person who gets daily briefings as part of their job, nobody has a right to know that little. I also think it's okay to call ideas stupid. The point of discussion is to separate good ideas from bad ones. So I can call ideas stupid, though even then, it'd probably be better if I use clunky, appear-to-be-based-on-faulty-logic euphemisms most of the time. So that's what I'm going with. Will I stick to those rules? We will find out. Trump, he is a handful. But I think that assuming the other side's basic cognitive functions is required to enable debate. To abandon that idea, given my beliefs about democratic pluralism, would be, that would be completely fucking, uh, completely fucking illogical given the agreed upon priors end of column thanks for listening once again my substack is called i might be wrong i hope i don't violate the principle i just established in the very next column i write also i feel like today's episode had a lot of anti-german invective i mean you do want a little right but this one had a lot maybe too much i'm gonna dial it back by 15% next episode. Although we are ignoring the threat posed by the Kaiser. I haven't changed my position on that. We'll settle this in a future episode. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another podcast for another column. So I hope to see you then. Bye for now.